0: Welcome to the Pandemic Professors Podcast. This is episode three. I'm Carol Pardun. And I'm Kelly Bowman. And we're here to talk about the weirdness of being academics in the age of COVID 19. Hey, Kelly,
1: who do we have on the episode today? Well, today we have Dr. Kevin Hull and his dog, Zoe. Um, (laughs) Kevin is the sports media lead at the University of South Carolina and an assistant professor. Uh, Dr. Hall, would Zoe like to say hello? Uh,
2: she'll be—you'll re- hear her in the background at some point, I'm sure. Her <laughs> jingling collar or some sort of toy being thrown around. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, she was actually my first question. So you said that she has become a coronavirus celebrity. How did that happen?
2: So she's already a bit of celebrity among my students in that, you know, when I teach uh, how to take a picture in my journalism class, the examples I use are all pictures of her. So everybody already knows her. So I put out a tweet just kind of like I shouldn't put video. I shouldn't put Zoe in all my teaching videos, but I'm probably going to anyway. And, (laughs) you know, a tweet for me if it gets like 20 likes that's like viral for me um and it got like 250 likes so nice. Whoa. so Zoe became a celebrity right away and then the school reached out rebecca who does our website and all of our things she reached out and she said hey we're making this video for students and we wrote a part for zoe <laughs> that's that's and great. i was like well should i be in it too and <laughs> So the part was for Zoe... Uh, And then the university made a video and then they said, we want Zoe in that too. So somehow Zoe has become the School of Journalism canine face of the coronavirus. I'm not sure how that happened.
0: There you go. And if that doesn't give you an example of the craziness of the world that we're living in in academics, right? (laughs) There you go. Because we don't even think that's weird.
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. No. Yeah. In fact, my dogs have started, my my students have started to bring their dogs to our videos. Oh, that's great. Like, yeah, yesterday I had a student show up holding her dog and she said, I just thought y'all would like to meet this dog. It's Oscar.
2: (laughs) I couldn't imagine starting to do these videos and not putting her in them. So, you know, it was just kind of natural for me to make the joke like, oh, she's going to be in a lot of them. And it turns out she has been in a lot of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well, I don't have any pets. So all I can offer is um, when I was recording my podcast this morning for my account planning ca- class. We have a water leak at our beach house, and so my husband decided that was the appropriate time to saw through the floor. Oh, <laughs> so, so I just, I have saws in my podcast, but no animals.
1: <laughs> well, somebody replied back to your tweet, right, and said um, that research has shown you should of- like animals and distractions in teaching videos.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah, he did. It was kind of a maybe read the room moment. I mean, I, I was kind of surprised, I mean, you know, maybe he's right and there are certainly someone has done research that that's accurate, but you know, my response was kind of like, yeah, but you know, these are not normal times and you know, maybe throwing my dog in to demonstrate the 180 degree rule of video is you know i think it's going to be okay i don't think it's going to be something that's going to you know ruin the learning experience 15 years from now students are going to say boy that dog sure was distracting <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. I've wondered if the um, wine bottles and wine glasses sort of disturb the um, some of the Zoom meetings, if that's an issue. Right. You
2: know, there's yeah. so many other issues in the world. I think my right. you know, nine pound dog showing up for, you know, a minute in one video a week is probably going to be OK.
1: There you go. Yeah. So I started actually following other professors that are putting their dogs in videos because now everybody's talking about it. And there's a chemistry professor who has a dog in Canada who has a dog named Bunsen. (laughs) (laughs) That is the cutest dog ever. And Bunsen is also a coronavirus celebrity. Okay. Um, All the students love Bunsen. All the other dogs on Twitter are tweeting to Bunsen. I mean, it's. (laughs) It's the most adorable thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, that might have to be (laughs) Um,
1: an upcoming episode, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Okay, so speaking specifically of academia, so Dr. Hall, you um, teach sports journalism, and I've also seen some more fun tweets um, coming out of your sports journalism class. So am I correct? You have them live tweeting Game number two of the 1991 NBA finals.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny, you know, going online, somewhat worried about it, but I thought, you know, I've taught online before I can make this work. And it was kind of all the other stuff that I was suddenly became a lot more worried about. You know, I was like, well, I'll just do my sports journalism class and they can just watch a game and write about that game that's on TV. And then some games got canceled and then more games, and then everything. Uh, so suddenly, my you know live tweet and game recap assignment had no games for them to do that for. You know, they were supposed to go to a Gamecock game. That was the original assignment. Obviously, that was out. Um, and so I just kind of searched YouTube looking for games that I could find that also had the post-game press conference somewhere, so that they could watch the entire game. And then have the post-game press conference and then write about the game like they were at the game and then at the post-game press conference. And the game I found was, like you said, the 1991 (laughs) NBA Finals game number two, uh, which is one of the Michael Jordan games. So, you know, I have these students who are born in like the year 2000 watching a game from 1991 um, and several of them wrote and they said, boy, you know, I've only heard about Michael Jordan, but to watch a whole game of his, it was really wow. neat. And that made me feel really old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it turned out to be OK. I mean, obviously, it's not the same. It's not the exact ideal thing, but we made it work. And, you know, I think the students, for the most part, had some fun with it.
1: Yeah, the tweets that I saw, like they had fun. And, I mean, obviously nobody live tweeted it in 1991.
2: Right, yeah. It's so probably it's the first time that game's 19-20? ever been live tweeted. And it was live tweeted <laughs> by 20 different
0: people. <laughs> That's funny. Did you get um, responses from people around the country?
2: Not for that. Well, I think some of the, the students did, you know, because I, I told them, I said, look, your first tweet might want to be some sort of disclaimer so that all your friends yeah. don't think you've lost your mind in <laughs> the middle of this, you know, like all of a sudden or, you know, when they were at a, going to a Gamecock game, it kind of makes sense. Like, hey, I'm in sports journalism. I'm at the softball game. Follow along. Not, hey, I'm live tweeting a game that's almost, you know, from 1991. So yeah. I thought, you know, their first tweet might want to be <laughs> hey this is what's happening uh and then getting into the live tweet so i think they've gotten a lot of responses of hey this is kind of cool um you know gosh i wish i was in this class and you know some people asking which game is this and that actually yeah. turns out to be uh, a pretty famous game and a pretty famous shot of michael jordan so yeah, um, yeah. that part of it was kind of neat too
1: yeah very cool that is awesome. Um, how else have you adjusted your classes? I mean, I can assume, right, for broadcast journalism classes, you had a lot more, you know, video assignments, live assignments. What else have you had to do?
2: Yeah, you know, the the video part of it, we've just kind of had to change a little bit. You know, the, the face-to-face part of it, especially the video for my journalism class, that's pretty much everything we do after spring break. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, we didn't come back from spring break. So I've had to make some changes, some lessons we've changed a little bit. Um, You know, they have to learn how to frame up an interview for video. And so I had them either do a 10-second interview with a family member or somebody who they're with, uh, take a still picture, or draw a picture if you're by yourself. You know, draw what it should look like. So I had a couple stick figure drawings, and I had a couple – very annoyed looking brothers and sisters who clearly did not want to be a part of this and did not want to help. Um, some people had some fun with it. They dressed up. And so they had those today. And then, uh, you know, sequence shooting they have to do now. And I had them do a PowerPoint. So instead of editing it all together, they just took a bunch of pictures and they're putting them into a PowerPoint. You know, the hardest part for me, I thought, was, you know, the technology isn't equal. You know, not everybody has a fancy phone, not everybody has a laptop. Not everybody's a laptop, period, Um, let alone, you know, a really good laptop. So, you know, there was some, you know, Adobe made their Premiere software available. But, you know, gosh, not everybody has a computer that can do Adobe as well as you would need. And, you know, I don't want to crash anybody's computer. And they're already stressed out enough. I don't need to put technology worries on the top of it. So I just tried to make it something that everybody could do without any problems. So that's why I said, look, if you're by yourself, just draw a picture. Because yeah. um, I know some students who are alone, and some <laughs> students who are with their families and could recruit little brothers and sisters. So,
0: yeah, you, know, do, you not- Kevin, do you have a sense on how many of your students are alone? That's something um, I haven't seen a lot of conversation about, but I'm curious. Our students, um, you know, just sort of in general, how many of them are. Off by themselves. So I have
2: 50 in my journalism class, and I would say at least five of them are alone. Um, You know, and some, you know, one wrote me and said, you know, she had kind of self quarantined because she wasn't feeling well. Um, You know, it turned out she was fine, but she had kind of made that decision. It was just her and her dog. Um, you know, I have others who have told me, you know, I, so one of the things that I did do that I thought was really helpful was I sent a survey before we started, you know, kind of in the middle of spring break, just kind of asking a bunch of questions like, how are you doing? And, you know, what do you have access to? Do you have a phone that can take pictures? Are you around other people? And that kind of helped me develop, um, develop some of the assignments. And then I did have a lot of people who said, you know, I'm sitting by myself here. So if there's a video assignment, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And so that kind of helped me come up with the idea of, well, you can draw a picture or take a picture of yourself. Um, because yeah, there are a lot of students who I think are just sitting in an apartment alone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Hmm. I hadn't either. Yeah. So do you think this is going to change your class in the future? Do you think you'll change any assignments? You know, there's
2: one thing I've utilized the class discussion board on Blackboard quite a bit in both my sports journalism and my reporting class, just kind of as like a kind of a check-in, make sure you're doing the work, make sure you're around um, and kind of make sure that you're getting this, you know, in the face-to-face class, I don't do that um, because, you know, you can just kind of ask them and they'll participate, but it's been neat to hear from everyone. You know, in a a face-to-face class, you know, like I said, I have 50 and there's probably 10 to 15 who participate regularly and, you know, a couple others who participate occasionally and some who never say a word. But through this, I've been able to hear from everyone and I've really liked that. And so I think the discussion board might actually be something that I still utilize in my face-to-face class. Kind of like, here's a video, everybody watch it and everybody tell me, what you think about this video based on what we talked about in class this week. That way I kind of know, hey, everybody in the class is getting it or there's a couple of students who just aren't getting it still. Um, so, you know, I kind of did it as not really a serious assignment. It's more of an effort based grade, but I've really liked it. And so I think that's one thing for sure that I'm going to keep doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, um, so you're saying it's working now, and so we sort of project like, oh, this is something I could bring to my face-to-face classroom. It'll be interesting on whether or not that holds true, or if what, once we get back to face-to-face, people are like, I don't want to do that, right? I can just talk to you. So you know, it will be, it'll be interesting to see as we hopefully go back to um actually seeing human beings <laughs> right yeah you no know, i would hate for them to see it and think well, it's just kind of
2: busy work you know I think right for yeah. now if they're i think the one thing i'll say for the students at least the ones in my class i think they get it like they understand that this is an ideal and the professors yeah. at least how they've responded to me we're doing the best we can here to kind of make this work um right. and so for you know, something like the discussion board. You know, they've done, for the most part, done a really good job of saying what they think of the video and, you know, mentioning things that I've taught them in these YouTube videos that I've put online. But you're right, that's a good that's a very good point, Carol. You know, kind of like when we get back at these can be like, oh, I gotta do this dumb discussion board. That's right. Or,
0: yeah. you know, I don't want to do any technology at all. Just right.
2: Yeah. yeah they, they may never want to go on Blackboard ever again after all that.
0: I, and, you know, I can't say that I would um, fault them for that. Right. Right. You know, if I never saw Zoom again, I would not be sad. Yeah, uh, yeah
2: a month ago, I'd never heard of Zoom, and now I'm ready for it exactly. to go away.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, now it's a verb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh that's insane. Uh but you know you're not you don't just teach sports journalism. You're also a massive sports fan. So do you think this you know global pandemic is going to change sports? You know, how we consume sports, how we engage with sports, any of that?
2: I think it could change sports journalism a lot. You know, one of the big things, and there's been a lot of talk about this before sports shut down, was the idea of, you know, the locker rooms for a lot of these places are open you know, when the game ends, journalists, you know, 20, 30 journalists all file into the locker room. And one of the first things before all the games got canceled were these leagues were said, we're going to close off locker room access so that there's less people in there. Um, And I think that could be one of those things where we come back and that locker room access is not there anymore. Um, And that would be, You know, that would be a big loss for the world of sports journalism because, you know, that's where you get access to the athletes and it's a little more informal as opposed to them sitting up on a podium with, you know, 20 cameras all around. You know, those that's kind of one on one conversations that lead to cool stories or that lead to kind of background information, you know, that all happens in the locker room. And if that access goes away. I think there's a big part of sports journalism and kind of how the fans are able to hear more about these athletes that could be in real jeopardy.
1: Yeah. it's a good oh, point. So, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it more that people could cover a game without actually being there.
2: Oh yeah. I, that I mean, that's all, that's already the case. I mean, I have talked about that to my sports journalism students just this past week. I mean, you can be, you could write, for the Carolina Panthers and live anywhere in the United States and never go to a Carolina Panthers game. I mean, you could watch the game on TV. There's post-game interviews and podium stuff that's all on their website. You can get statistics from any number of places. You can just be a fan and know how to break down a game. I mean, you could be a fan of literally any team anywhere and do a probably pretty successful blog on that team. Um, And so I think, you know, that's not necessarily new, but maybe it's something where more people are going to recognize that fact now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, I don't know whether I like that idea or not. Um, so, hey, Kevin, um, so you're a prolific teacher. Um, you've won all sorts of teaching awards and students love you and they beg to get into your classes and blah, 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 blah. Um, and, no, no, you know, keep going. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's great. But you also do a tremendous amount of research. Um, how's that going for you in this pandemic
2: well, uh, we, you know, we had our big AEJMC deadline, which is our big conference that, you know, in the world of journalism, academics, we're supposed to go to. Um, and I had two papers in a team of four for both, thankfully, that were kind of well on their way before all mm-hmm. this happened. I'd already gathered all my data and already interviewed all my sportscasters. Um, so I was able to get both of those papers done, Um But I haven't done much else since, you know, I've agreed to write a textbook and I've done zero seconds of work on that textbook since (laughs) spring break.
1: Um,
2: And I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure when I'm going to get back to it. And, you know, there's part of me that's like, gosh, do I reach out to the editor and let them know? Um, But, you know, I've got kind of deadlines as to when I'm supposed to send them chapters and, you know, one of those is coming up and I'm probably not going to have a whole lot to send them. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they'll be understanding, but, you know, just, it's hard to focus on all this stuff. It's hard to kind of think about doing anything else when taking this class and turning this whole class into an online thing with, you know, a week's notice is taking up a lot of time. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, your publishers might not care that much right now. Um, The publisher of my book um, has furloughed all 400 of its employees oh, <laughs> oh wow so there's um you know we were talking about whether or not to do a second edition and a supplementary text to go with the textbook because it's you know it's been fairly successful um yeah there's no one communicating <laughs> with me right
1: now <laughs> wow so. well i
2: had not thought of that i guess it might be worth sending an email <laughs> that's yeah right. that's a good point
1: <laughs> yeah Wow, that's insane!
0: So, are you working? Are you so, working on Ke- with Kelly on anything?
2: Not right. No, I wanted to let her finish her dissertation, but now that she's done, <laughs> I, I'm recruiting her back. You know, let it, let her finish that, and now she's she's back on my co author list for sure.
1: Awesome! <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I had papers that I was not planning to submit to Aej, but then when they extended the deadline, I thought, you know, well, why not? Um, and I think I ended up submitting four uh, by April the 9th. Yeah. Um, after defending between defending my dissertation and April the 9th. Um, so it was kind of a crazy few weeks, but, um, I think AEJ had a record number of submissions. Oh, did year. they? I had not heard that. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, or at least more than last year. It was somewhere around 1600, Interesting. um, which was more than they had at Toronto. Um, but, you know, there were travel issues to and from Toronto. Yeah. Too. And I, I wonder how so. much uh,
2: allowing the extended abstracts helped, too. You know, I'd be yeah. curious how many of those submissions were full papers and how many of them were the extended abstracts that they allowed to be submitted for the first time, I think, ever. Um, so I think that makes a big difference. But I can tell you, had that deadline not been extended, I'm I certainly would not have gotten two papers in. No way. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have either. But so I'm co-research chair for the Commission on the Status of Women. And um, i went through the numbers today. And as we were sort of sorting through and trying to figure out who to assign reviewers for, and um, there weren't that many extended abstracts. Some sections had five or seven extended abstracts. The majority are okay. full papers. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I was impressed too. But I mean, it was a very, it was a similar situation with me. So I was working on a paper um, with another student, and we thought this will never make the March 31st deadline. And then they extended it and offered the extended abstract. And we thought, okay, well, let's go extended abstract. Um, but it was a minimum of 1500 words, and you had to have preliminary findings. Um And y'all know I don't struggle with word length, So I was at 2,300 (laughs) with with just the lit. And I thought, I have to cut half of the abstract, you know, half of the lit to add in the findings. I might as well just go ahead and write it. And I wonder if a lot of people felt that way. I might as well just go ahead and finish it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's a good point. But, you know, Kevin, you bring up a good point. I'd be interested to know what you think. And you too, Kelly. Um, So, you know, everyone's just doing what they can do. And you got through the conference deadline. But um, young academics don't have the freedom typically to say, okay, I'm going to just relax for the next three months or six months and just concentrate on all the craziness of teaching my classes online. I mean, you are a research professor, so you don't really get to say, I'm going to disregard um, a third, at least a third of my job, right? Right.
2: Oh yeah, no, for sure. I, I think had I not, you know, submitted my tenure packet, you know, back in August, I think this this month would have been a lot more stressful for sure. Because I would, I certainly would have thought two papers is not enough for AJMC. I need to submit things to journals. I have all these different things that I'm working on that I need to keep working on. You know, the fact that I was kind of in that in between session. Um, as far as the 10-year process goes, I think was a huge break for me to kind of have a breath, frankly, and be able to say, just get this stuff done and then you'll be okay. Um, I I can't imagine being second year or something like that.
0: Yeah. 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 And Kelly, you're always productive. So I'm guessing (laughs) this is not, you know, you just rearrange your yourself and move, move on, right? I mean, ha- has your research um, sort of life changed? I mean, I know it's weird for you because you just defended your dissertation a couple of weeks ago, and so that's a milestone, um, but you put that milestone against, you know, whether we want to call coronavirus a milestone or a millstone, <laughs> I guess we could call it.
1: <laughs> right. um, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: You know, sort of how you're negotiating
1: um, all of that Yeah, no, I mean, I guess the, um, I love interesting things to research. And so, you know, for example, you know, another colleague at South Carolina sent me an email yesterday with a video of the latest um, uh, briefing on coronavirus from the president, where he was talking over one of the female journalists that she was asking him a question. And apparently that's happened a lot. Yes. And so, you know, they were just sharing that video. Can you believe this? Look at this. And my first immediate thought was, wow, how often has he done that? I need, to, I need to look at that. Where can I get my hands on these videos? Where is this transcribed somewhere? Like that was the first thing I thought of is wouldn't that be a fun thing to research? Is he talking more over the female journalist than the male journalist? And I don't, that's not even, I wouldn't even call that a hypothesis. That's got to be a dead giveaway. Um, But, you know, I see things like that and I think that would be a fun thing to look at. So I don't I don't think I turn my brain off. Yeah. I mean, I I find it to be uh, a fun outlet, you know, something to take my mind off of the day to day. If That makes sense. Yeah, totally.
2: I think another thing that's somewhat, you know, difficult is for some people, you know, what you research is kind of on hold. And I'm one of those, you know, I yeah. research sports and uh-huh. the sports media, you know, there's only so many, how did X respond to the coronavirus? How did basketball, how did ESPN, how did baseball, you know, once those right. five or six papers are written, you know, we're kind of at a stopping point. Um, mm, and so point. some of it might be, I'm on hold because I'm on hold, like you know, not, yeah. not necessarily my fault.
0: Right. That's a good point. And you say, you know, mm-hmm. there's um, say five or six papers related to this and the virus well you know even if you write all five of them I mean there's you know that there's lots of other um, sports and media communications professors who are thinking those same things there's not there's not going to be space for everyone studying the impact of um, the virus on how we relate to sports or whatever so you're right you know trying to Think of ideas that you're able to do now that will translate um, and through all the clutter, you know, in our journals that are already extremely difficult to get into. I think it's going to be a a pretty interesting challenge down down the road. And
2: so many of those journals, too, have been doing special issues. I mean, I can't yeah, speak, but I've already gotten yeah. three sports journals that are, here's our special issue on how coronavirus has impacted yeah. X. And you yeah, kind of right. send, here's our, you know, our yeah. book that's coming. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, at some point, we're going to have to go back to the other stuff. But assuming that other stuff starts
0: again. Right, right. Yeah. Well, there's always Richard Simmons. Always. Uh, <laughs> Right, always.
1: Right. So there's always tell, Richard Simmons. He's, you know, being missed. That's right, but not so missing. Tell our millions of
0: viewers um, <laughs> the kinds of research that the two of you do related to things like <laughs> Richard Simmons.
1: Y'all go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I would say. Is it's, um, you know, I come up with what can sometimes be described random topics. Um, and I do appreciate that Kevin has never told me no. <laughs> so when I showed up in his office saying, let's write a paper on the missing Richard Simmons podcast, I think actually we were in class together. I think so, right? He was teaching research methods. We were both listening to the podcast. He came into class one day and he said, did you listen to the latest episode? And I said, oh my goodness, I did. And he said, parasocial interaction right (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and then you know a few weeks later I said I want to do a paper on that and he said well then let's do it you know and so randomness uh but that was fun (laughs) and I think we've both been working on studies about um broadcast women of color this semester but with the same co-author but not with each other oh
0: interesting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> um, but that should be a fun thing to go to Aej too. Yeah, but yeah, no, I come up with random stuff, and Kevin's always always here. Yeah. yeah.
0: Except <laughs> I presented the idea to him about studying um, the Holy Moly television series, <laughs> and that just you know, it just went nowhere with him.
2: <laughs> We're just waiting for season two of Holy Moly. I mean, that's all oh, it oh, is.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, y'all, we're near the end of our podcast. Time has um, flown, and I'm sure the um, millions of people who are tuning in to this have (laughs) enjoyed hearing Kevin Hall talk about his life as a researcher and also as a teacher. And um, Kevin, I just want to say publicly um, how great it is to have you as a colleague and how I hate that I don't get to see you in person Um, and, you know, I hope long for the day when, you know, we all get to walk down the hallway and say, Hey, um, you know, and not have to do it through go to meeting or, or zoom. So I really hope you're doing well and really appreciate you being a part of this
1: um, podcast. You got any, um, parting words, Kelly? I was just going to say, tell Zoe we said thank you. Um, and whenever she starts sending out glossy eight x tens, sounds
2: say- good. I'll get her to autograph them, <laughs> special for you. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. All right. Thanks for today. See y'all later.